Uh, Genesis 22. Here we go, y'all. Continue on in Genesis uh, through our series through that book of the Bible. Uh, the title of this morning uh, is Provision Comes at a Cost. Provision comes at a cost or with a cost. Uh, and it's no coincidence that, that that title comes from our text, but literally as we're celebrating the 4th of July, I, I can't help but point at the season in which we are in and know that the liberties and the freedoms that we experience came at came at a cost of people who have served, are serving, or will serve, who, who laid down their life as we enjoy some good barbecue. Hopefully that's waiting uh, before you. That's waiting before me. I smoked some meat on Friday. We're just waiting to enjoy that goodness, as well as popping fireworks or watermelon. I don't know about you, but I grew up watching Independence Day with Will Smith and Bill Pullman. Uh, I, I just, I was like, Fourth of July brings up so many memories and, and, and good memories um, of, of playing with fire and popping fireworks. And, and so I, I point at all those things that, that we will enjoy knowing that it came, at, it came at a cost, a cost of time, even a cost of life. And so if you have served our servant or will serve, we just want to say thank you from up front uh, to acknowledge that and, and to speak to that, knowing that you have modeled uh, what, it, what Jesus says in John uh, chapter 15, that no greater love is more than, than this to lay down his life for, for a friend. And it's in that truth that we see here in this text that, that there's a lot of talk about Isaac and, 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 and kind of the movement of, of Abraham and Isaac. But I just want to just lay everything down up front and know that, y'all, we are on a journey to talk about the ram. It's, 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 it's in the ram. It's in that substitute that was offered on our behalf in which we find forgiveness and restoration pointing to ultimately the greater lamb. The greater lamb who would willingly lay down his life so that we can find our, our life. And so we are on this journey towards that point. And I just want to just be really clear up front that that's the hope of the gospel. That Jesus came to live the life that you and I could never live, died the death that we deserve, and rose from the grave. That's the gospel we sing about. That's the gospel that we preach about. That's the gospel in which we receive, in which we stand, and we believe in, and are saved, and are being saved according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. That's the gospel that we preach, and that's the gospel I want to be particularly clear about above anything else. Because our, our main idea this morning is this, and only main idea, and only point for the morning, which all God's people said, amen for one point. Our one point this morning is this, is that faith, faith in the promise keeper and his provision produces radical change. Faith in the promise keeper and his provision produces radical change. Because we know the text starts out in Genesis 22, verse 1, that after these things happen, it's pointing us back to the journey that Abe has been on. Because you all see in Genesis 22, Abe is, I mean, Abe is obeying. There's no if, ands, or buts. There's no argument. There's no bartering that's happening. He's simply saying, here I am. But we know that it's been a journey with Abram, later Abraham, that that we see him respond to the call in Genesis chapter 12 when he says, I'm going to take you, I want you to go from your country and what you know and what you're familiar with, and I'm going to go show you a land that you don't know. And what does it say in Genesis 12 verse 4? Abraham or Abram obeyed. But literally in that same chapter of Genesis chapter 12, when Abe obeys, literally maybe nine verses later, we see Abram confronted with a king. The fear of man gets the best of him. He looks at his wife and says, hey, I'll come up with a plan. Why don't you be my sister? Saves his own hide to save his own life. Y'all remember this? 
This is a weak moment in Abe's life. And then in Genesis chapter 15, God reminds him of the covenant, and Abram believes the Lord, and he credits it to him as righteousness. And so you got this movement of, of, uh, that Abe has, has been on. And literally last week, I think one of the main points that was discussed is that God is, is faithful despite our unfaithfulness. And that same truth is true for us today, that despite our unfaithfulness, God continues to be faithful. He is our Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides, but literally he's the God who sees and sees us through. Because he who called you to it, church, will see you through it. I don't know what you're in. I don't know what you're coming with, but our God is a God who calls us by name. That's why you see from the very beginning of the text, what is God doing? He's coming in with an exclamation point, Abraham, which if you notice throughout this passage, there's a lot of exclamation points talking to Abraham. It's like, whoa, all right. I got you. I, I, I hear you. He comes in, he, and he speaks Abraham's name in church. We believe that God is still a God who speaks. Amen? We have a God who, God who, who still moves amongst his people. If that were not true, then this would be a waste of time. But we know this to be true. We've experienced this to be true. And we see it in the word that he goes to Abraham, calls him by name. And so we know that we may not hear God audibly, but when we come to the text and we come to the Bible and we open up the Bible, God is opening up his mouth to get us a hold of what he has in store for us. The question, church, is what has your name on it this morning? And it might be a now word, but it may be a later word. Because sometimes every sermon doesn't scratch our itch. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I don't know, the sermon was like, it, it was all right. I don't, I don't know really what I, what I needed to hear. But it may not be a now word. It may be a later word. And so I pray that we wouldn't miss what God may have in store for us this morning. Will we follow Abe's example in here I am? In that posture of, I'm here, Lord. Because when we have that posture of going before the Lord with loose hands, open-ended, moldable, and, and, and to be able to be shaped. That's where we're able to be molded and conformed to Jesus' image and defined by him rather than our own, our own selves for his glory and ultimately our delight. Let me ask you a question, church, that's just very obvious here in the text, is when things don't make sense, when things are confusing, when you're not feeling it, Will you choose to obey Jesus and entrust yourself to his will? God, call, come, God comes, he calls Abraham by name. He says, here I am, verse 2, he says, he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Get, get the language y'all, of, of what is being put before us. Take your son your one and only precious son. Because there's a lot of language here in our text that's almost overwhelming that's going to point us to who Jesus is. Because it says, of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son on Matthew chapter 17 in the transfiguration. It also says in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave what? His one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, the one and only, this, this precious son. For Abe, this, is, this son is the son he's been waiting for. This is the son he couldn't have because of decades of infertility. 
of waiting and longing for a child. This is the son he dreamed of. This is the son that is the fulfillment of the covenant of Genesis 12 and 15. This is it. This is his, his dream. This is what Abraham left his home for, left everything for. Because without Isaac, there is no Israel, no blessing of the nations, and no Jesus that would eventually come later on the scene. Yeah, take that special son of laughter and joy and turn him into smoke and ashes. Can you imagine the father hearing this news? Because what kind of God, what good God would command such a thing? We know that God has gone on record in saying God was opposed to killing creatures made in his image. We know that it was commanded not to follow uh, Canaan's example in the burning of their children. That's what's literally happening here in the, the history of this passage. There was, there's also this guy named Moloch that people would offer their children to. We know God also says that, that for us not to, to murder. And so why, where's this contradiction? Why, why, how could God command this? To offer his beloved son. And there's a lot of thought and a lot of discussion, but if we just look at the passage alone, I think it comes from verse 1. That God tested Abraham. That this was a test it is in the testing church where our character and our heart is on most display. It's in the desert God tests his people as the Israelites wandered in the wilderness and were exiled later. Because it's in the wilderness, it's in the testing that things get brought up and things get revealed and they reveal our allegiances. That's why in 1 Peter 4.12 it says, Beloved, church, you know your beloved? That even in the testing, in the midst of difficulty, you're beloved and loved, and adored, and showered over in Jesus, in whom I am well pleased. That's, that's, that's for us as well, if we're in Christ. Don't, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? To test you, as something strange were happening to you. That God brings trials, God brings tests into our, into our lives, not just for us to learn things and, and pass the Jesus pop quiz later on paper, but no, it's to encounter him. It's in the trial, it's in the testing, we encounter and experience an intimacy with the Lord that we wouldn't have had if we get, didn't go through the test. So in Job, we see for, for, uh, Job 42, verse 5, Job, who went through the test in God's permission, do I, do, do I have anybody that I could test? Uh, yeah, God says, yeah, have you considered my servant? Job, Job goes through and loses everything, material, possession, he bows down and worships, goes through some other difficulty with other counsel that came in that was, that was, that was not edifying or profitable. But Job concludes in Job 42, verse 5, I have heard of you, Lord. I have, I have heard of you. I've heard of the things. I've, I've heard of activity that happened with my parents you know, back in the day at camp. I've heard about activity that may have happened on a Sunday morning. I've heard about activity about gathered, uh, scattered Sundays and our breakfasts. God, I've heard of these things. I've heard of your faithfulness. But now I see you. It's in the difficulty of not only just hearing, but now in the midst of, of trials and difficulty, we are able to see God in ways we wouldn't be able to see him without going through it. That's why Timothy Keller says this. He says, Job never saw why he suffered, but he saw God, and that was enough. He didn't know why, 
I don't know why the things that you're going through, I, 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 I don't know the purpose behind them, but I knew, though, that the ultimate purpose, God is working for his glory and, and, and our good because he's a good, he's a good father. So God tests Abraham in order to him evaluate. He's, he's testing him to evaluate his hopes and his dreams. God is inviting Abraham back to why he left home to look, to look forward to his hope, not to be in things that God provides, as precious as they might be, but in the precious provider himself, to walk in faith and be content in him alone. Let me ask you a question, church. The question is this. Are, are we more content with provision or the provider of that provision? I'm not saying stuff is bad, but stuff is a terrible replacement for the Savior. Material is a terrible replacement for the Messiah. It's Abraham's faith in the character and the promise keeper in Jehovah Jireh that, and the God who provides that enables him to respond with radical obedience even when it didn't make sense that we wouldn't get so caught up in the gifts and the things that we have and, and, and forget the giver of those gifts. That's why it says in Proverbs 30, this prayer of agar that was mentioned on our men's group me, oh God, give me, give me the food that is needful of me, lest I become full and deny you, lest I not have enough and I steal and profane the name of the Lord of our God. Give me the food that is, that is needful of me. That's why Jesus says uh, to give us our, our daily bread. Our daily bread of what he provides. Is it enough? Is he enough? So Abraham, what does he do? Here's this radical command, and he responds in radical obedience. He doesn't wait. says in verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. If that was me, I'd be sleeping in. Alarm clock's not going off on, 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 on that day. To obey this command, but Abraham rises early in the morning because church delayed obedience is disobedience. Y'all preach this to your kids. Y'all know what I'm talking about. This is on repeat at least 10 times a day. Hey, brother, go put on your shoes. He's off in his own world, having his own heyday, lost in, in what he's up to. Or, or just a simple command. Put your socks and put your shoes on. I'll meet you out in the car. Because, because delayed obedience is disobedience. But Abe, Abe he, ain't, he, ain't, he, ain't, uh, he ain't waiting. He's rising early in the morning. He saddles his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose, key word here, arose and went to the place of which God had told him. There's no, no delay. There's, there's no debating here. There's, there's no, uh, with Sodom and Gomorrah, suppose there are 50 or, 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 or 45 or 40 or 30 or 20 or 10. No, no, no. Abe, he just obeys. He just simply and profoundly obeys, and he goes through the process. Can you imagine, church, placing yourself in Abraham's shoes of splitting wood, knowing that your son was about to be split? Can you imagine the process of, of rising early in the morning and making preparations that would lead ultimately to destruction? Man, because when my, my kids get hurt, man, I just can't, I just can't do it. I just, like, if there's a scrape on the knee or if they're, if they're, there's, there's, they're, they're hurt or they're, they're, they, they got an injury, I'm not good. Our, our driveway is like a mountain that you hike, have to hike up, and our kids are constantly falling. And I'm constantly trying to, try, try, trying to prevent them from falling. And I see blood, it ain't good. Thank God I married a nurse. I'm just saying. <laughs> Praise be to the name of the Lord God Almighty. Provided me a nurse to care for those moments. Because, man, I just, I just don't do well when my kids get hurt. 
But Abram, he continues, he splits with, he saddles the donkey. Interesting that's a donkey, don't have time to go there. He goes in there, he, he goes on this, three, this, this journey of a three-day hike up this mountain. Y'all, this isn't just like an impulsive obedience. This isn't just like an in-the-moment kind of deal. He's got to make a hike three days long. He's hiking up with his son. And, and the text says that Abram lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Verse 5, then Abram said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abe, he continues to obey for a three-day journey and pledges to worship even, even when he is feeling completely, completely torn. He's not feeling it. I guarantee as a father, just, just that, that moment of, of going with your son, with them together. But y'all, it points us to the three-day journey Jesus went on. The three-day journey from the cross to the tomb. It was on the third day he achieved an endurance beyond us. The perfect lamb not only died and rose from the grave, but also perfectly obeyed where we fail. So this enables us to trust him with the unthinkable. Unthinkable. To trust him when things don't make sense because we know he's good and he's working for our good. Who knew? Who knew that the slaughter of the lamb would provide provision and secure our salvation? I guarantee you Jesus didn't feel it either when he's sweating bullets and drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane to drop the gospel in our laps. Wasn't feeling it, but still pledged to worship. Church, let me ask you a question in the midst of uncertainty and confusion. Will you worship? If you're single in the house and longing to be married, longing to have a spouse, will you still worship? When our spouses are not meeting our expectations, will you still worship? When we cannot control our kids or control having kids of our own, will we still worship? When God makes a move and relocates your family, will you still worship Jesus? When depression or divorce or death happen, will we still worship Jesus? Because there's times we, not, we, won't, we won't feel it. It's there in Matthew 17 when the disciples are with Jesus and he transfigures before them. It's just like great, holy, good moment. And Peter busts out and says, Jesus, this is awesome. Moses and Elijah are appearing up in here. Let's get a tent out. Let's literally camp out right here. This feels good. And you notice in Matthew 17, Jesus says, we can't stay here much longer. We got to go down. And when they go down off that mountain, they immediately encounter demonic oppression. And Jesus rebukes them, not because of their feelings, but Jesus rebukes them because of their faith. Will we continue to have faith in the midst of difficulty? This is a quote from Eugene Peterson in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He writes, worship is an act that, de that develops feelings for God. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that's expressed in an act of worship. When we obey the command to praise God and worship, our deep, essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. And so will we still worship even though we may not, we may not feel it? Because the only thing for Abe that made most sense was to trust the promise keeper and trust that he was at work and he didn't leave him alone. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 11 that gives us some, some understanding as to what's going on in Abraham's mind. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, it's the, it's the hall of faith chapter where it has a list of people and, and, and is acknowledging their, their faith. And you, some of those people are like, I don't know why they made it to the hall of faith. They ain't, they ain't demonstrating a lot of faith up in there, especially Abraham. He's got some moments. This moment's a good one. But he's got some moments that don't match up with some faithfulness. You know what I'm saying? But there in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, speaking of Genesis 22, offered up Isaac. Don't miss it, y'all. And he said, who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. What we're talking about right now. Verse 18, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Uh, that's the Abrahamic covenant. Verse 19, here it is. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Speaking of Isaac. Placing his faith in the prophet. Figurative speaking, he did receive him. He did receive him back. So, so was Abe lying to his servants when he said the boy and him would be back? Now, according to this New Testament author, shedding light on what was going on in Abe's, in Abe's mind, Abe was trusting in the power of resurrection. Already, Already in Genesis, there's this anticipation of resurrection that, that has commentary there in the New Testament, which we have the privilege of. What did Abraham have? Abraham had Genesis 3.15. Abraham, he had that promise of one that was going to come, that was going to be bruised on the heel, but he would also be, strike the serpent's head to make restoration, to put things back into order. So he's looking at his son thinking, is he the one? Is he the one that's going to make things right? Because I trust in that promise and what you're up to. Because faith, church, faith in the promise keeper and his promise, it produces radical change. Faith in the promise keeper and his promise produces radical change. And Abraham took the wood, verse 6, of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He's literally laying wood on his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, key phrase, so they went both of them together to get the picture the, the father lays the wood on his son and they're heading up the mount together not hand in hand but with instruments of destruction that literally y'all this just points us to jesus who, who who would take on the cross take on that wooden tree to die for you and for me to be tortured so that he could die and be, and be raised from the grave to find that empty tomb that gives us hope and life already shots of what is to come and Isaac said to his, to his father, Abraham, another exclamation point, my father, my father, he said. And what's Abraham do? Here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And you know, as, Abe, as, as, as a father, he's holding the knife, and you know this question struck him like a knife to his heart. What should he say? What should he say to his son of where is this lamb? Should he tell him that he is the lamb? And Abraham, he, he said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Again, so they went both of them together because the father of faith isn't leaving his son's side just as our faithful father doesn't leave ours. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of a lot of tension, of just being uncomfortable, of not knowing, he walks with us. That God will provide. He points back to the Lord and says, I'm putting this in the Lord's court. I don't know, son. I'm, I'm walking, I'm walking in, into this with you together, learning more about what's going on. I'm discovering with you. I have this command, but I know, I know God is good. I, I, know, I know he is, he is faithful, and I know that he's going to provide. He's our Jehovah Jireh three times throughout the text. He will, he will provide. 
And here we see Isaac blurting out, where is the lamb? Because Abe has trained Isaac well here. He has discipled him into knowing that we ourselves are not enough, but need provision outside of ourselves to make things right. As a dad, he's trained his child to know that we are not enough. We're not self-sufficient enough. We must look outside of ourselves. Parents, let me ask you the question, do we train our children the same? Do we point our children to ourselves as as the Savior or to the Savior himself? Do we parent or disciple them so that they get good GPAs or that they have all the activities, not that those things are bad, but they're just not God? Do we point our kids to Jesus who is the real Savior because our tendency is to believe that it's up to us alone to make things happen or, dare I say, make ourselves right? So we cope with shame by looking to our salary. We deal with isolation with individualism. And rather than embracing the cross, we cling to the crown of achievement. Church, how do you respond to shame? How do you respond to shame? A couple years ago, uh, 13 years ago to be, in fact, uh, to, to be certain, uh, I, was, uh, I was working at a church and I had a buddy that was, uh, I was getting married in Dallas. And so uh, from my house, that's a good four-hour drive at the time. And so uh, I decided, you know, weddings happen on Saturday, and Sunday's coming. So as you're at the wedding, you're already kind of thinking about Sunday as well. And uh, I, went, I was in a part of the bridal party and make this journey up. And, of course, I'm a young college guy thinking I can do all things. I don't need much sleep. I can just continue to function. And so I left on Friday, and the wedding was later because I, I just didn't plan ahead enough uh, to think how late the wedding was going to be. And so it's like 10, 11 o'clock on Saturday night. I'm in Dallas. i got to be up way early up in the morning, rising early to go be there at, at, at church. And so I, I leave there around 10 o'clock. I get home 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and, and for whatever reason, my alarm clock did not wake me up. It's going off, it's buzzing, uh, and I just sleep right through it. And my job was to get our area ready, turn on the AC, turn on the lights, make sure the computer's going so that the, when, the, when the students showed up, everything was nice and comfortable for our teens. So you're welcome, teenagers, for exposing you to a test that was waiting for you as you w- went there. No, total mess up, fail on my part, big time. I wake up, I'm panicking I'm, I'm calling my boss. He's not picking up, which makes things worse because I was looking to his approval more than the approval I had in Jesus already. And I, and I go to my boss and I'm like, brother, you don't know the kind of night I had. You don't know how late I was. I was, in, I was at a wedding in Dallas. I, I set my alarm. I, 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 I slipped right through it. I mean, I'll, I'll work extra hours. I'll do all the things. I'll make everything happen in order to, to, to please you. His response was very simple And profound in the moment for me, in the midst of my shame, he said, the cross, the cross is enough, Aaron. The cross is enough. Of course, do I need to be more disciplined? Of course, do I need to be more aware of how late and how much sleep I'm getting? Of course. But in that moment, when I was, man, I was just dealing with a lot of shame and in the pit of just a lot of worldly sorrow. He pointed me to the cross, said the cross is enough. So whatever you come in with this morning, dealing with shame or dealing with this worldly sorrow that is beating yourself up to think that you're nothing or that you are unworthy or or, or that you can do anything good or do anything anything right, as as this worldly sorrow does, it, it gives a false sense of brokenness and repentance, but it doesn't ever lead to change. Because God invites us to experience a godly sorrow, a conviction wrought by the Spirit, And you're able to identify the sorrow when you see humility 
and repentance. Godly sorrow propels one to cling to the cross and beg for heart change. How do you respond to shame? Has more of your week been worldly sorrow or godly sorrow? Because faith in the promise keeper, in his provision, it produces radical change. In verse 9, the text continues on. Are you all with me? It says this, When they came to the place to which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his Isaac, his son. He's literally binding his son. In the Hebrew Bible, this is what the title of their passage would say. It's the binding of Isaac. He's laying the wood out that he split. He's getting things in order, and he's literally tying down his son. And there's been multiple times as I've been in my office this past week, my, my little Judah, who's up here quoting scripture, I, I, he'll come and just plop down and say, Dad, you preaching today? Are you preaching this week? He was like angry about it. I'm like, bro, I hope I don't look like that with your eyebrows up there, up, up on the stage. I got some eyebrows. I got to be aware of them. But Dad, you, preach, you preaching this week? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm preaching this week. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, uh-uh. No, no, I can't, I, I can't go there because that, that, that's my precious son. But in, the, in that moment, it's a moment of me to know that God has given him. He's good. I love him, but he's not God. Parents, are we, are we parenting our kids? Are we, are we shepherding them, knowing that, 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 that we must disciple them according to what, what God says, according to that perspective, rather than looking to them to meet needs that only God can meet? It's in, it's, in, it's in this moment that Abraham's literally binding his son. If you're, you're listening to this for the first time, you're thinking, will Abraham really go through with it? Is he really going to do this thing? Does he trust God so much that he's going to offer his, his son, not just his son, but his whole future? And the text continues to go on. It says, verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand. Okay, he's actually taken the knife in his hand. He took the knife to slaughter, not just kill, but to slaughter his son, the text would say. He's actually going to go through with it. You're actually, in the text, you're like literally on your toes of, of, of anticipation of no way, Abraham. No, no, don't do this. And yet the voice of heaven, an angel of the Lord from heaven called to him from heaven it broke and said, Abraham, not just once, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, what did he say? Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on your boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. And seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Because church, true and ultimate hope, it must come from heaven. It must, this is a hope that is beyond us, that makes itself available to us. It breaks in. It calls us by name. Abraham, Abraham. Abe has gone from fearing people, from selling out his wife to save himself, to now fearing God. What changed in Abraham? It was the test. The test of losing something so precious led him to cling to the precious promise keeper. It was, it was a healthy reverence of Jehovah Jireh, this fear of God, the self-existing, self-sufficient one, that the one who sees us through. Church, looking to our God of provision enables us to lay down fear that leads to control. Hear this now. Looking to the God of provision enables us to lay down fear that leads to control and pick up the fear of the Lord that leads to security his provision, not looking outside of ourselves because our tendency is, is to want to control things. My tendency is to want to control things. 
to fabricate an own security to make, to make myself feel better. But when we fear the Lord, those are pastures of freedom that we're intended to live in, dream in, and be about. Because underneath our lust for control is a whole lot of misplaced fear and insecurity. This fear of the Lord, I had to do some reading on it, and Proverbs and the wisdom literature is full of the fear of the Lord. But it's this verse that stood out to me. Proverbs 14, verse 26, it says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. The one who fears the Lord has strong confidence. Why? Because we're secure in him. He is the one who is in control. And it says, and his children will have a refuge. Our fear of the Lord leaks into our kids. Parents, what what fear are you passing on to your kids? Is it the fear that leads to control that ultimately is producing insecurity in them? Or is it the fear of the Lord that is ultimately our security and their confidence? Because it says in verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death, to be trapped in in the snares of death. The fear of the Lord takes us out of that. Because faith in the promise keeper and his provisions produces radical change. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram. In the midst of, of this moment, he calls out, the, the angel of the Lord calls out his name, and there, behold, there is a ram, and it's behind him. But he lifts up his eyes and looked, the ram's behind him, caught in the thick of the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And if you're that original audience listening to this, you're like, yes! Because without any Isaac, there is no Israel. And for those that were going into the promised land, this was their hope that the one that would come from Abraham would be the fulfillment of that Genesis 3.15 promise. It's also hopeful for those who are in exile, knowing that God who was faithful then will continue to be faithful. And he offered up his son, and Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, as a reminder, as a memorial of how God provided it is to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided on the mount the Lord provides a ram to die so that God's people it might live and you see this ram it's it's caught in thick that gets the picture it's 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 behind him it's almost like it snuck on snuck up on Abraham kind of like how Jesus rolls in like during Christmas time just kind of rolls in through the night unnoticed undetected unseen by the majority, except the few that God chose to be a part of. This ram is caught in the thick of it, in the thick of brush. I imagine there's thorns in that brush. And the ram, the ram is it's stuck. Why do I talk about this? Because the ram points us to the lamb who would, who would take on the thick of it, namely our sin, to deliver us, to provide forgiveness. This ram that was stuck points to the one who, who was stuck on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to be stuck. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse around 21, he made him who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This, this ram that probably had thorns and, and thistles around his, his, his horn or up top is the same one that points to Jesus who would bear a crown of thorns on our behalf, who would bear the curse so that we could be blessed. Church, it's in Jesus. We're no longer in chains. We've been set free. This is what we're singing about. Waymaker, 
deliver us. We're no longer in chains. We're no longer in bondage in Jesus. So addiction, anger, anxiety, lust, jealousy, deceit, malice, slander, they no longer have a hold on us. All who Jesus is and what he has done, all of his righteousness has been transferred to our account. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the best news and greatest news, that there's hope for sinners like you and me. And Paul concludes, so also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's been transferred to our account. It's who we are. When my wife and I were getting married, uh, we were going through premarital counseling. We were talking about finances. Never really talked about finances, but it's an excellent thing to talk about uh, if you're getting married, talk about finances. And I don't really know how much uh, she had in the bank. And I know that she had a little, uh, she was doing babysitting stuff and uh, was doing that. And then, I, you know, when we got married, you know, the two shall leave father and mother and cleave and become one flesh. And all God's people said, amen to that. And so in part of that one flesh that was happening is we talk about finances. And we, we start talking about finances. And I look at what she has in the bank and I'm like, Okay, girl. Wow. All right. You 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 done good with your you done good. Like you got more money than me. And I, I y'all you've been doing babysitting and 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 she got she was man just the Lord had favor and and, and when we got married y'all all that she had was transferred to my account. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh man, marriage good y'all. All all of what all all the sacrifice because she worked hard. She sacrificed a lot. She sacrificed time, and she, 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 was a good, she sacrificed uh, not spending her money in ways that she should have, and I reaped the reward of that. Why do I talk about that? Because that's the gospel church, that Jesus and all the sacrifice that he did and the life that he lived obeyed perfectly. When we trust in him, all of his righteousness, all of his perfection is transferred to our account so that when God the Father looks down on us, he sees the slaughtered lamb. It says, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Now live freely, dead to sin, and alive to God. No longer. Sin no longer has a grip on you. You do not have to succumb to it. This is the hope of the Spirit residing in us. Sometimes we think we're just in chains, or we're just in, 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 like bound to, to have to do things. No, 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 you don't have to. If you don't know Jesus, you are bound. But in Jesus, we've been set free. The slaughtered lamb points us to the, to, the, to the slaughtered lamb to die on our behalf so that all of him could be, could be all of ours and all of our debt, all of our sin has been transferred to that cross and that empty tomb. Therefore, we live freely. I won't expound much, but I do want to read the rest of the text. It says this, because Abe, don't forget, church, don't forget, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham, not just one time that was read, but a second time. What grace. A second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the, uh, the gate of his enemies, and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose, and they went together to Beersheba. And Abraham, Abraham lived at Beersheba. Can you imagine that journey down that mountain? Can you imagine the story that they're sharing to one another, father and son? That Abraham wasn't at liberty to share with the son? You know, they're just, just thrilled and excited. 
They came down that, off that mountain different. Church, I pray that we would leave this place just as different. The slaughtered ram who was caught in the thick of it points to the lamb who would save us from the thick of it, namely our sin. This is what we celebrate. This is what we enjoy. Let me pray. And we'll continue in worship. Church, as we close this morning, Abraham's posture is clearly evident with just three words. Here I am. How is God inviting you into to trusting him that would lead to radical obedience or maybe just simple obedience? Would we have that posture now in this moment? Arms lifted and extended with open palms up of here I am, Lord. And as we do, let me ask you, have you experienced more of worldly sorrow or godly sorrow this past week? Would you take that to the Lord now? Would you allow that truth of the gospel to be motivating you? To allow Jesus' active work to be active in you, in your activity? In what area of your life does the fear of the Lord need to be to overwhelm unhealthy fear? What in your life, what area, what, what, what about that? The fear of the Lord needs to overwhelm unhealthy fear. Maybe fear of people. Maybe fear of the unknown. Maybe it's fear of failure. Lastly, where's God inviting you to worship him, even when it doesn't make sense? We're in the midst of disappointment. Jesus, you went to that garden, you sweated drops of blood. Moments where you definitely didn't feel it, but you remained faithful. You climbed up, not the Mount of Moriah, but you climbed up that Mount of Calvary to die for people like me. Dealing with shame and guilt, wallowing and unworthiness. God, I pray that I myself would trust the goodness of you and the righteousness that's been given to my account. God, I pray for our church that we'd operate out of that reality. And God, that we would worship we would choose to worship you despite our circumstances. Only you can do that. We trust you and we love you. Jehovah Jireh, amen.